this is your first time here, we're continuing our topic on the Great Commission. And in that Great Commission, we see this is what Jesus has called us as disciples to live, how to live our lives. And last week, you know, one of the things we found out, you know, we learned about being a disciple is part of being a disciple is to lead people to the to Christ to the point where they get baptized. And Pastor Phil did an outstanding job telling us what baptism is all about and why we need to get baptized and what prevents us from being baptized. And a lot of us think when we look at baptism, is like, you know what? I'm not good enough to be baptized. I don't know enough about the faith to be baptized. You know, I wish my life would be more spiritual in order that I could be baptized. And we think it's that that we have to attain a certain level of spirituality before we're baptized. But you know what? Baptism is about none of that. None of that. Because if you look in Scripture, people accepted Christ and they were baptized right then and there. They didn't have time to get their act together. And it wasn't like their knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures increased dramatically. No. All they knew is that their lives were messed up and they needed a savior. That God loved them and he sent his son to die for them. And if they would choose to follow him, they would have eternal life. And that's why they were baptized. So if any of you are sitting here right now and you have to be, you haven't been baptized, please consider this. Because being baptism is not an option if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus commanded us to be um, baptized and there's no excuse, really. Because baptism is not saying that I'm righteous. Baptism is saying, you know, I was messed up and I needed a savior. So please, please, if you haven't been baptized, see Pastor Phil and help us inaugurate our new baptistry, or as we like to call it, Mako Spa. You know, so. But anyway, today we're going to talk about another part of um, being a disciple of Jesus. Is, you know, disciples of Jesus, they teach. Okay, and we're going to break this into two parts. Today we're going to talk about our own spiritual development and growth. And tomorrow we're going to talk about how we grow in a sense of community. And it's my hope that, you know, I've done this a lot. But, you know, some of us, you know, you know, kind of maybe have strayed from the faith a little bit. And you're sitting here, you're saying, you know what, my spiritual life isn't you know, kind of what it used to be. But that's okay, because today I hope that, you know, we could help you get back on course. And just remember, today's a new day. Today's a new day. Forget about um, yesterday. Forget about the past. Today's a new day. But if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 28, 19, verses 19 to 20. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. And if you don't have it, we have it up here on our Sky Bible. And... uh, This is what the author writes. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. And if you, once again, could you turn with me to John 14, 23 to 24. John 14, 23 to 24. And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. And so we see in the Great Commission, Jesus commissions the disciples, or he commissions us as his disciples, to teach people that ev- to obey everything that Jesus commanded. 
And then we also see in John 4 that Jesus says, anyone who loves him, anyone who loves him will obey my teaching. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's defining who is a true disciple. Because he goes on by 20, in verse 24, it says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Once again, Jesus is defining who a true disciple is. A true disciple is somebody who follows Jesus and obeys his teaching. And uh, someone who's not a disciple is one who, you know, just says, well, Jesus, forget, you know, I don't need to obey any of your teaching, you know, and uh, who doesn't follow um, Jesus. And a lot of times, we, you know, we try to fake it, right? We try to fake it. You know, in Luke six forty three to 45, the author writes, No good tree bears bad fruit, and no bad tree bears good fruit. So each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. It said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. What Jesus is saying here is a disciple is known by the fruit. You can say all you want about um, God and you know what you believe, but ultimately a disciple, he said, a true disciple is known by the fruit, meaning spiritual growth is evident. You know, it's our natural reaction when we don't have time to think how will we respond. You know, do we respond um, through um, by responding in a way that Jesus does when we have to react to things, or do we respond in our own way? You know, so many times, have you, you know, you know, public figures and athletes are notorious for this. You know, sometimes they say something that they shouldn't have said. Or sometimes maybe they, um, there's people that are known for their dirty play. And what happens when an announcer or somebody, a commentator, asks them about that? They go, oh, you know what? That's not me. That's not me. Or when they say something, oh, you know what? I, that, that's not me. But you know what? It is them. It is them. And, you know, when I'm driving and a car cuts me off, or we're waiting in a long line to get off a freeway, and I see somebody just pass everybody up and look for that open space and then just slide in there and upsets me and I get mad, you know, I can't say, you know, that's not me. You know, we have to be honest. You know, we have to say, okay, that's me. I own that. Okay, and um, that's the way it is with our spirituality. You know, we can't fake it. It's evident. And how we'll, how we respond in life to life's circumstances reveals who we are. And this is why spiritual growth is so important. It's not about what we think. It's not about the truths we believe. It's about Jesus transforming our heart. And this is what um, spiritual development is all about. And so we become more like Jesus. And so when something happens and a car cuts me off, my natural response, without thinking is not my natural response, but it's Jesus's response in that um, uh, in that particular circumstance. But it all starts with having a correct vision 
of what a disciple is. And what's vision? Um, vision, it's the things we need to understand clearly. Now, companies have mission and vision statements. You know, they, a lot of times they're used interchangeably. And basically what a mission and vision statement does, it just tells who they are, you know, what they want to do, and who they want to become. And so it's supposed to give the company direction. So when the employees say, this is uh, uh, how I'm supposed to act at work, well, basically corporations have these mission and vision statements to help uh, guide them to say, you know what, we want to become this. And if we want to become this, then we all have to do this, 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 this to become the company that we want to become. Now, if we take a look at some mission or vision statements, let's take a look at one, McDonald's. It says, McDonald's, it says, McDonald's exists to be our customer's favorite place and the way they eat. To be our customer's favorite place. And if you've taken a look at McDonald's, what they did, what a lot of them are doing, they're revamping their kids' area, right? Because they want it to be a place where, you know, the kids could come and have fun and eat a high-calorie meal. You know, that's what, you know, they want to do. But it also says, to be our customer's favorite way to eat. And this is what they're doing, right? This is why they offer those, they have those 99 cent menus, right? Because it says, we want to provide you a, a cheap meal to eat, right? Who cares about what's in it, but it's really cheap. I mean, who could resist the $2 Big Mac, right? $2 Big Mac. It's like, oh my gosh, $2 for a Big Mac. You know, it's almost poor stewardship not to go there to spend $2. You know, I'm saving $3. I'm saving $3 to eat that stuff. But anyway, that's McDonald's. They, you know, they want to be the customer's favorite place and a way to eat. Well, let's look at In-N-Out. Let's look at In-N-Out. In-N-Out exists to provide the freshest, highest quality and services for a profit and a spotless, sparkling environment whereby our customers customer is our most important asset. Ah, here they're bringing in quality, right? We all know the qual- the difference in quality between an In-N-Out hamburger and a quarter pounder, right? Because why? This is their uh, mission statement to provide the freshest and highest quality of hamburger. I mean, when was the last time you saw In-N-Out come out with a 99 cent meal? They don't have a 99 cent menu at In-N-Out. You know, when was the, you know, I, I'm, I was trying to think, I can't remember a time when they even had a promotion where they lowered the prices to try, try to get us in there. No, why? Because they rely on their values of the vision to bring customers in. It's like, we don't have to drop our prices. We don't have to have happy meals in order to bring people here. You know, it's going to be our quality. That brings people here. And that, that's evident. You just go to any in and out, especially the one there right on Garfield um, Boulevard, the line goes out onto the street, you know, or any in and out you go to. If you don't see a line there waiting to pull up, that's a blessing. And you go, thank you, Lord, you know, that there's no line. Because any other time, you know, it's crowded, right? Now, let's take another look at it. Now, granted, this isn't fair, but okay, let's take a look at Morton's <laughs> vision statement. It says, Morton's exist always to exceed, always exceed our guest expectations. As we succeed, we expand out, we expand our reputation as the world's best 
Steakhouse. It said they always want to exceed our guest expectation. Now, In-N-Out wants to provide the question, the freshest and the highest quality hamburger, right? Then really, don't say anything about you know the customers other than you know the, the most valuable asset. But what does Morton's want to do? They want to always exceed their customers' you know expectations. And if any of you've been to a Morton Steakhouse, that's what they you know try to do. I mean, I can't go there a whole lot. You know, I go there every maybe once in a decade or something on a real, um, you know, uh, special occasion. But you could see where they're coming from. It's vision. It's vision. But, you know, we also have a vision for our lives, right? Most of us don't stumble through our life. We have a vision of, you know, what we want to do. We have a vision. You know, for those of you right now who are students, college, you know, or career, you kind of have a vision of the lifestyle that you would like to live. And as you're taking a look at your career, you're saying, okay, well, in this career, I can imagine what I would be doing. I can imagine the lifestyle that we want to live, and I could, and I know the benefit of choosing that career, whether it's financial or whatnot. And so we kind of all have a vision of a lifestyle that we want to live, don't we? Very few of us just stumble through life. Now, we might have a vision of the lifestyle we want to live, and we may not know how to get there, okay? Because some of us, you know, have that problem where we have a certain uh, a vision of our lifestyle. We just don't know how to get there. But nonetheless, we have a vision. You know, parents... Do you have a vision for your children? You know, when my son was growing up and we were talking about nurturing him and growing him and what type of a lifestyle he would have, my vision for Michael came out of Mark 8.36 that says, What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? What profits a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul. And so as Michael was growing up, this is the vision that we are putting into his life. You know, that um, uh, following a life as a disciple of Christ is much more important than trying to gain the entire world. Because what profit is it if you gain the whole world? If he chooses a career where he can have all things but loses his soul. That's tragic. But that was a vision that we had for him, you know, growing up. And we also have a spiritual vision for our spiritual lives. You know, and some of us might um, not think of it about a whole lot, but we all have a vision. We're all being discipled by something, whether it's Jesus Christ or media or a culture or whatnot. You know, even among um, Christians who are heavily committed to, you know, Jesus, after a while, sometimes our dedication, our walk with our Lord, you know, it seems to, we seem to run out of steam. Have you ever been that way? Well, you're walking with the Lord and you're just, uh, you know, our, 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 our life with Jesus, we're getting tired, we're running out of our steams. You know, when we do our devotions and we're reading the scripture, once that used to be like ah, drinking fresh water, now it's like work, it's chores, like studying for a test. You know, we all, you know, get there. And a lot of it, a lot of it is I've looked at my life and the mistakes I've made is that I had the wrong spiritual vision. 
I had the wrong spiritual vision. Now, this is a quote from Dallas Willard from his book, Renovation of the Heart. Okay. It says, first, there is absolutely nothing. There is absolutely nothing in what Jesus himself or his earlier followers taught that suggests that you can decide just to enjoy forgiveness at Jesus' expense and have nothing more to do with him. Some years ago, A.W. Tozer expressed his feeling that a notable heresy has come into being throughout Christian circles. He said, the widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as a savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want to. He then goes on to state that salvation apart from obedience is unknown in the sacred scriptures. Let me repeat that. Salvation apart from obedience is unknown in scripture, meaning it's not taught. And he says the heresy, now heresy is just believing in a religious opinion that goes contrary to, you know, the church's teaching. But he said this heresy has created the impression that it is quite reasonable to be a vampire Christian. A vampire Christian. Only Dallas Willard would come up with that term. But he says, what is a vampire Christian? It says, one in effect says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? That's a vampire Christian. But can we really imagine that this is the approach that Jesus wanted us to take? No. But isn't this a vision that sometimes, you know, I've had that spiritual vision before. Well, I was a vampire Christian. Well, Jesus, I just want a little of your blood enough to secure my salvation. But you know what? Could you just leave me alone? Could you just allow me to live my life and do what I want to do? And guess what? That little blood, hey, I'll see you in heaven when I die. That's not what Jesus taught. But so many of us have that spiritual vision. And this is why I think a lot of us stall out in our faith. This is why a lot of us fail to move on to mature believers. Because if that is our vision for our spiritual life, we will never grow. Jesus says we can't have it both ways. We cannot have our cake and eat it too. We can't have our cake and eat it too. And so we need to have the right spiritual vision. And what is the right spiritual vision? It's when Jesus says that we need to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves. We need to say no to us, no to what we want, and yes to Jesus. That's the proper spiritual vision to have, right? Is to deny ourselves, deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. Say no to us, no to me, and yes to Jesus. But we also need intention. It says intention is the values we need to commit to. It says many Christians hope that given enough time, just showing up in church week after week and engaging in various Bible studies will eventually change them into the person that that they were supposed to be. 
Meaning that a lot of times we look at our, uh, we compare our physical growth to our spiritual growth. I mean, what did you do to help you grow spirit, uh, physically? Really nothing, right? You just eat food, drink water, and somehow you grow. But a lot of times that's the way we look at our spiritual life, right? That, oh, it'll automatically happen. It'll automatically happen. But you know what? You know, it doesn't work that way. You know, sometimes we even put considerable effort into our, our um, our spiritual development, but end up having what we call a works-based salvation. Well, I'm doing all of these things just to prove that I'm a Christian. You know, works don't flow out of us um, to as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. However, we use them as evidence to prove that we're a Christian. So we work, work, and work, and work to keep our um, salvation. Because wanting to be different is not enough. Now when I'm talking about intention here, I'm not talking about wishful thinking. I'm talking about, when you're talking about intention is, I am going to, or I intend to do what I decided to do. And that's something that we need. You know, we need to carve out Space for a relationship with God. We have to intend to pick up our cross daily and deny ourselves. We need that intention. It says we need to develop a working relationship with God that goes beyond just study and obligatory obedience. It's like, okay, I'm going to obey you just because you say that I'm supposed to do this. That's not what God wants. That's not what God wants. He wants to change us. Intention. Just saying I want to be different isn't good enough. And unfortunately, you know, Larry Crabb, one of the leaders in, you know, spiritual formation says, many times the catalyst for spiritual formation or growth is crisis. It's crisis. When things are going well in our lives, you know, it's like, Jesus, I want that little blood. <laughs> Could you just leave me alone while I live my life? And then I'll see you when I get to heaven. But when crisis happens, something change. Something changes. You know, I was, you know, at the doctor. And she looked at my chart and said, uh, David, have you uh, been trying to, um, you know, eat better and with your diet and exercise? I go, yeah, I've been trying. And then she read my results, and it's like, oh, busted. Okay, <laughs> you know. But she said, Dave, you know, you've got diabetes, type 2 diabetes, and your numbers are getting higher and higher. She goes, the next step, if we can't control this, we're going to have to either change your medication or you're going to have to go on insulin. Now, I've talked to people who said, well, okay, the needles aren't that bad, but, you know, I'm needle-phobic. You know, I am, you know, I have a high threshold of pain, but I am freaked out by needles, shots, IVs, or anything to freak me out. You know, so it's like, what? I'm going to have to, you know, poke. And so, you know, right then it's like, uh-oh, I've got to do something about this. And, you know, because basically, you know what my vision for um, health was? Was, you know, I could eat what I want and not do what I want, and I'll just use medication to manage my health. You know, that, that was my real vision for health. But you know what? That was the wrong vision. That was the wrong vision. 
But you know what? As I thought about that, I go, you know what? This is kind of like the vision I have for spiritual growth, too. It's right. You know, I, I still want to do what I want to do. There's certain things I want to have fun with. There's certain things I don't want to give up. But I'll manage it by teaching. I'll manage it by going to church. I'll manage it by Bible study. You know, that doesn't work. And so it's only when somebody tells you, Duh, Dave, you've really got to do something about your health or it's going to get worse. Or the measures that we're going to have to take to control this are going to be this. And sometimes, you know, that's what, you know, happens to us. Well, we're cruising along thinking everything's fine. But you know what? God loves you too much. You know, God says, I promise to give you an abundant life. And you think you're living the abundant life. But God is saying to us, Dave, you have no idea what the abundant life is that I could offer you. You're chasing all of these things. And you know what? I love you too too much to allow you to go in the direction you want. So I am going to shake up your life. I'm going to give you crisis so you would wake up and come back to me. Because it is only through me that you could have the abundant life. Dave, you just don't know it. You just don't know it. You know, and many of us, you know, follow in that too. When once again, we have to have the intention of wanting to see our spiritual vision happen. I mean, you could have a spiritual vision, but if you have no intention on carrying it out, what good is it? You know, when I was at Continental, you know, back in the uh, 80s, we were probably the worst when it came to customer service. Everybody hated us. And it's horrible being in passenger service when all these passengers, even though they're going to Hawaii, they're mad at you because they go, you know what? I couldn't find any other airline to Hawaii, so we're just taking you. Oh, welcome. You know, it's horrible, right? And so they said, you know, we need to do something about this. And so the airline that had the best customer service at the time was SAS. And so they said, you know what? We're going to have them come over, and they're going to teach us how to provide good customer service. So they had a vision that we wanted to be the best airline when it comes to customer service. You know, we're going to go from worst to the best. So they bring over SAS to teach us. But you know what? There was no intention there. You know, they just spent millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, we made SAS richer. But when it came down to it, because our company really didn't have the intention of backing that up, it went nowhere. It went where we were still the worst airline in the industry. You know, and that's the same thing. We could have the right spiritual vision, but if we don't have the intention to do it, If we just think, you know what, it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Then finally we have the means. And the means is what we can do to foster spiritual growth. And this is so important. We need to understand that, you know, everything that I was talking about, you know, spending time alone with God, reading scripture, that's important. Our prayer life is, you know, that's important. Serving others, those things are important to our spiritual life. However, those things do not transform us. Because how many times have we done those things and pretty much we're no better off than we were before? Why? Once again, we have the wrong 
Spiritual vision. Because who is the one who transforms us? The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us. Our works do not transform us. So when we come before Jesus in our devotions, when we need script, when we read scripture, we don't do it to chalk up these brownie points to take it off our checklist and say, I did it. What we're doing is we're creating space for the Holy Spirit to come and transform us. And that is so important that we understand the distinction is when we do those things, they're not to um, check off a checklist to say, okay, I've done it, God. I've done it, God. I've done it, God. I've done it, God. No, it's okay. God, I'm doing these things to create a space for you. So your scripture, which is living, could come and transform me. So when I react to certain situations without thinking that what? I react in the name of Jesus. I react in the way that you would do things. Why? Because I'm becoming more and more like your son. So when I'm playing sports and somebody gives me a hard foul, I don't cuss at them. You know? And I've, I've heard so many people say, well, Dave, that's a part of competition. I go, no, it's not. Not if you're a Christian. You know, it's not. Because why? Our, our faith comes before the way we act on our court, right? When we act a certain way on a court, and I've been there, okay? I'm not, you know, I might be, for some of you who are struggling with that, I get it. I get it. Okay? But, but, you know what? Christ was trying to transform me. I'm a Christian here preaching to you, but I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ on the basketball court too. You know, I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ when I'm out on the boat fishing and I'm bringing fish closer and closer and closer. I can see it. It's a good-sized fish, and then it gets away at the last minute. And there's certain things that you want to say, but no, you know, I'm a Christian there too, Right? You know, Jesus wants to transform us to say, okay, Dave, don't worry. I, at least you're out here fishing. A bad day in fishing is better than a good day at work, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyway, Jesus wants to transform us. And this is why doing the means, having the means to do that is important. So once again, setting time, you know, on a daily basis to meditate is important. The reason what's more important is why we're doing this. You know, because a lot of times when we just go through scripture and read it and just, you know, our understanding might be improved. But unless we have the intention of actually applying it to our lives, it does nothing. It does nothing. So when we read scripture, you know, whatever you read, whatever you read, say, you know what? It is my intention, Jesus, to follow this portion of scripture. And I'm not doing it so I could just write off a checklist so you could see how spiritual I am. I'm reading this so your word, the power of your word, could transform my life so I could become more and more like you. So what's the weekly challenge? Well, the first one is, do you have a vision for your spiritual development? I mean, can you imagine what it would be like for you to... Go all out for Jesus Christ. To be all in for Jesus Christ. What would that look like? What would you be doing? You know, what kind of life would you be living? What are the benefits, you know, of that? 
But if you don't, because sometimes we're like that. You know, I was like that too, where I just, okay, God, I'm just going to walk with you and whatever happens, happens. You know, you began a good work in me and you're going to complete it. And so, but if you don't have a vision, spend time imagining what spiritual growth would look like in your life. And I'm not talking, you know, so maybe you're not at that point right now where you could even think about, God, what would it be like to go all out with you? Maybe your spiritual um, vision is, Lord, what would um, it be like for me to be victorious over the temptations of the world, the temptations of, you know, my own flesh and desires, and then... And then um, the how do I stand up to the um, you know temptation or the schemes of our enemy Satan or some of you might be Lord how do I own my own faith how do I own my own faith because everything I know and the only way I live my faith is based upon what my pastor says or what my mom my, my mother or father do I really don't own my own faith but whatever it is wherever you are. Spend time developing that vision. It says, do you have the intention to live a life in obedience to God? Once again, not to check off boxes. But, you know, do you have the intention to actually do it? Or are you kind of like myself? Like, I want to do whatever I want to do, and I'll let medication manage my problem. That's not what Jesus wants. What means, you know, for example, spending time daily with God, reading the Bible, prayer, or journaling, serving others, can you do to help you grow spiritually? Once again, not as a checklist, but to allow the Holy Spirit space in your life to work. That's what we're talking about here. And this is really important, because I've been there and done that, where, you know, my, you know at sometimes I feel like a spiritual giant, you know, I say, God, this is great. I love being a Christian. You know, I love experiencing you on a daily basis. And other times I've been like a spiritual hobbit, you know, where it's like I'm just, you know, fearful, you know, of everything. Not trusting God for anything that I've got to trust on my own self. You know, we're all there. So wherever you're at right now, just take this week to think and come up with a spiritual vision for yourself. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you came to give each one of us the abundant life. And Father, I know it must be so frustrating for you for uh, to see us go after all these other things that are just temporary, that really don't give us satisfaction, that leave us hungry, that leave us thirsty. When you can offer us a life where we don't go hungry or we'll never be thirsty. And Father, thank you so much that you love each one of us too much to allow us not to experience that. And for those of you who are sitting here right now who feel like your world's been turned upside down where you're just experiencing crisis after crisis after crisis, I pray that you be encouraged. That God uses crisis to bring you back to him. That God uses crisis to refine you, to mold you, to allow you 
to exhibit more and more of the qualities of Jesus in your life. Because God knows it's easy for us to be like his son Jesus when times are good. But our true self comes out when we react. When we don't have time to think about how we would respond in a certain situation and we just react. That is what Jesus wants to transform. And that's what Jesus promises to do if we let him. So I hope you go walk away from this service in courage. You know, forget about what happened in your past. Forget about what happened this past week. Forget about your failures. Forget about your shortcomings. Knowing that there's a God who's going to pick you up, dust you off, and help you move forward. Because he promised to finish the work that he started in you. And so even though that work might involve pain, it might involve suffering, God's still at work in your life. And he will never give up on you. Thank you. In your sense, then we pray. Amen.